we are also creating an antigenic shift, but it's not static, it's dynamic. The more we vaccinate, the more it's going to change. So we can never solve this. Normally, if you have an antigenic, you will have an outbreak. And then again, the, the collective immunity of the population can, can, can deal with this. But here we are always changing the antigen. So the adaptive immunity cannot cope, it cannot deal with this. This will be a very helpful update video on Git Vanden Bosch, a vaccinologist and formerly of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, who appeared on our show a couple of months ago to talk about the idea of immune escape and the problems he has with the global rollout of mass vaccinations. Yesterday, he appeared on the Dark Horse podcast with Brett Weinstein, an evolutionary biologist. And so in this video, we'll go through that podcast with some snippets and we'll look at Git's uh, argument in a very basic summary, uh, the creation of mutant strains of COVID, of SARS-CoV-2, which forms COVID-19, uh, looking at pathogenic priming, the suppression of the innate immune system, especially in children, and herd immunity, which Git believes has already arrived. Finally, we'll look at Git's biggest hater, ZDogMD, the doctor on YouTube who really has it in for Git. Now, I'm not qualified to teach you about vaccines or evolutionary biology or anything like that. So I will be sticking to just telling you what the experts have said, and I'll leave my opinion out of it. What I am qualified to do is to, as evidenced by my track record, is to tell you the truth without the spin, without the manipulation, the censorship, the ad hominem attacks and the ridicule, which unfortunately ZDogMD has resorted to when attacking Giet van den Bosch. First of all, I want you to make up your own mind. So let's begin with Eric Weinstein. Who is he? He is the evolutionary biologist who originally a year ago uh, belled the cat on the lab escape hypothesis. So he's the one of the first people that came out and said publicly, this virus, SARS-CoV-2, appears to be, looks like it escaped from a lab because of the way uh, it's behaving. Uh, it doesn't look like it was naturally evolved. Uh, and the theory from... Uh, from Brett was that it escaped from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is in, in Wuhan. The virus itself has several components that suggest that it is actually the result of manipulation in the lab and that it escaped probably from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, but there's another lab in Wuhan. Um, it, uh, it may well have escaped and we may be dealing with consequences of the, of the um, the fact that it was manipulated in a lab. Now, Brett's qualifications are far in excess of Zegdog MD. So this is a real coup that Git was able to land this interview with Brett. Now, the reason why I keep comparing these two doctors is because there's only two platforms of note that uh, Git has appeared on so far. One was the Dark Horse podcast with Eric Weinstein with. Brett Weinstein yesterday, and second of all, he appeared. He didn't appear on ZDog MD's platform, but ZDog MD did a takedown video of Git, and they're the two most famous places that Git has appeared. Now, I highly recommend you listen to the full podcast, uh, which I'll link below. But I'll summarize it here for you now with a few snippets. First of all, Brett acknowledges that this argument from Git not only makes sense, but we must talk about it. I don't know if you're right. I cannot, I cannot determine based on what I understand if you're right. But what I can say is that you are making sense 
right? This is frightening in and of itself, that your argument is completely coherent. Whether or not it is true, this is at least a question that should be engaged by those who are making policy around this, because the possibility of making our viral situation with respect to COVID worse is present. And, you know, we we are creating the hazard of the future that we will be confronting a year or two down the road by our actions now. Geert van den Bosch actually believes that we should have done a mass vaccination program as early as possible a year ago. We didn't have vaccinations, obviously, but to do it in a pandemic, he says that it is not a normal thing to do based on any immunology or vaccinology textbook. Uh, he thinks now in the, in the midst of a global pandemic, that's the last thing you want to do because what it actually does, according to him, is create a very concentrated immune pressure which sets us up for failure. The nature of these vaccines, part of the magic of them, the ability to generate them so quickly, has to do with how utterly narrowly focused they are. Instead of doing something traditional like taking a virus and inactivating it and introducing the whole virus into the body so the body sees the whole thing, right? We've narrowed the focus down to the spike protein itself. And not only that, we've narrowed it down to the spike protein of the original virus. And this has created a very concentrated pressure, which means that we're trying to inform the immune system of exactly what the enemy looks like. And we've honed in on one characteristic. And that means that if the virus can change that one characteristic, then suddenly it becomes invisible. And so we are effectively setting ourselves up for an evolutionary failure by concentrating our response and introducing it on the front rather than in advance of the encounter. And, um, you know, again, I don't know that your argument is right, but I can say it's very clearly plausible and the hazard is potentially immense. The failure scenario they're talking about has two reasons. First of all, the pressure that we are placing on the virus, an intense pressure to create mutations of it. And second of all, the disabling of the innate immune system, especially in children, which we'll get to later. So first of all, the pressure to create mutations. We've all seen how these vaccinations rolled, around, uh, rolled out around the world now are very, very good at reducing symptoms of COVID-19. Very good, uh, but not as good at, at preventing transmission of SARS-CoV-2 to other people. What this means is we essentially now have a treatment that is very good at saving older people and more at-risk people with more comorbidities because it reduces the severe number of severe outcomes with COVID-19. Uh, but that's about it. There's a trade-off happening. To some extent, they diminish, of course, the, uh, the spread of the infection. They diminish the viral load to some extent uh, really substantially, but they do not completely prevent infection. Um, yeah. So this then sets up uh, a hazard in the form of a trade-off, that the vaccines are very good at preventing people from becoming sick, but by being narrowly focused and not preventing the shedding of a virus, they open an evolutionary pathway for the virus to learn new tricks, because that is to say somebody who has substantial immunity but not complete immunity to the virus will, sh will tend to shed new variants that have making, made use of uh, that uh, higher bar or that have cleared the higher bar. The pressure they refer to is the evolutionary selection pressure by 
mass cornering of this virus throughout the world through hundreds of millions of people vaccinated or incompletely vaccinated, uh, if not billions, if we ever get to that level. The idea is that we're going to be putting so much pressure on this thing and leaving a tiny crack in the door. There's only one place for the virus to go. We're going to push it through there. I mean, another way to think of it is like putting the weight of the entire Earth onto a pinhead and pressing it down into one little tiny mechanism of the virus. And that kind of pressure they're arguing is what's going to cause an evolutionary pathway to open up and to have all these mutations come about. And that in this case, we have, well, A, I would say the anomalous fact of this virus apparently having emerged in the human population already highly effective. We have no evidence for that experimental evolutionary period at the beginning, which is one of the reasons that many of us uh, believe the laboratory origins uh, hypothesis is probably correct. But in the context of this vaccine campaign, what you're arguing is that we are seeing exactly the pattern of change that you would predict if we were creating this inadvertent serial passage experiment in the human population. We are putting pressure on the spike protein in this narrow way. We are seeing change in the spike protein and in exactly the domains that would cause immune escape and that, you know, uh, the, let's put it this way, I think the um, presumption would have to be that we are driving that change or at least accelerating that change by virtue of the very intense and very narrow evolutionary pressure that we are applying to the virus. So that's the first reason for the fairly scenario they give, this intense uh, evolutionary selection pressure that we're applying to the virus and our, we won't be able to create vaccines in time to, to cope for uh, mutant strains. The second reason they give for uh, the failure scenario is the suppression of our innate immune system. Now, they do a really good job in the podcast. Go and watch it below if you like. It takes them about an hour to explain the difference between the innate and the uh, uh, and, and the adaptive immune system, but I'll do it for you now in 60 seconds, hopefully. When you get sick, you get sick for a couple of days, your body learns how to deal with it, and then you get better. What's actually happening is your adaptive immune system, it's actually splintered too, right? Your adaptive immune system is your T cells and your B cells are figuring out how to create antibodies to that pathogen. So a pathogen comes into your body, virus, uh, your T cells and B cells see it and they start to identify it and they create antibodies specifically written to that, which is now called an antigen, right? So the pathogen, we know how to deal with it. We call it an antigen. Antibodies can see the antigen, they, they bind to it uh, and then the body can kill it, clean it up. Okay, so that's how we think of immunity. But that is only half the story. The other half of our immunity is actually something called the innate immune system. So instead of it being adaptive, it's innate. See, with the adaptive immune system, like I just described, we have these antibodies which are specific and coded to the, coded to the uh, antigen, the pathogen that's come in. With the innate immune system, it's creating non-specific or polyspecific antibodies, natural antibodies, which don't need to learn the nature of the invader. So they can be deployed instantly, not not after a few days of learning. I guess the, the best uh, metaphor to think about is if you're in a battle, if you have an army advancing, uh, all of the uh, the men on the on the front, or women nowadays, I guess, all the soldiers on the front line with shields and everything that are just blocking every, every arrow, every bullet that's coming in, tanks and so on, that's the innate immune system. It doesn't matter what's coming at you. It's just going to block it all. It's, it's, it's polyspecific. The 
But if you have a couple of snipers up the back that are selectively targeting the generals on the other side or the high value targets, that is more uh, directed. That is like your adaptive immune system. And that's what vaccines try to do, whether it's a recombinant protein vaccine or an mRNA vaccine or a viral vector vaccine. What they're trying to do is they're trying to fast track, they're trying to pre-teach your B cell and T cell memories to uh be like the snipers and identify a pathogen coming in or an antigen in this case coming in before it can can go do anything at all. Uh, whereas the innate immune system is like the, the shields at the front just blocking everything all the time. So the innate immune system is is with us all the time and it does it has no problems with antigenic um, shifts. So that's the the, the the mutant viral strains that come about. It doesn't matter because, again, it's the shields at the front just blocking anything that's coming in. Uh, in fact, innate immunity uh, is, it has no memory. It actually recognizes based on patterns, just general patterns of how different um, antigens behave. It can, it can attack them. GIT actually says that herd immunity is innate immunity. When people talk about herd immunity, I'm always saying the real herd immunity that we have here is innate immunity. Because if you have this infection, 80% of the population, in some populations, depending on age and the demographics, even 85% of the population eliminates the virus and doesn't have any symptoms. Isn't that, isn't that fantastic herd immunity? This is due to innate immunity. We know in the elderly, the innate immunity is weakened uh, due to aging. And th these are the guys who first get, get severe disease. So the herd immunity is here due to innate immunity, right? And that is the complete misunderstanding. Yep. Now this uh, tracks perfectly with uh, what I understand of the system. And it does raise the specter that our intervention is actually not only going to become ineffective, but render things far worse than they are. That in fact, we, you know, we take the immunity of the young to COVID-19 as somehow God-given and permanent. And it is anything but. It is dependent on a system we know not enough about. And that system is capable of being disrupted by a ham-fisted intervention in the adaptive immunity system. That uh, strikes me as all too plausible. The reason why they're raising children when they're talking about innate immunity is because of the way we're messing with the innate immune system. And in children, it is the strongest. So we have a very strong innate immune system in the natural killer cells and the natural antibodies and so on when we're young. And as we age, it tends to give way to being favored more by the adaptive immune system, which is, I guess, why you see a lot more of a focus on uh, vaccinations and so on, which works through the adaptive immune system uh, on older people. And you also see, in general, natural immunity in older humans go down, you know, the natural defense, that frontline um, innate immunity, you know, they seem to be more susceptible to things which I guess then logically would say uh, vaccines are far more important the older we get if, if our innate immune system is, is weak. But the way we're messing with this system that they claim is interesting because vaccines are not only, according to them, creating a dynamic antigen shift, so they're creating mutant strains out there. They are also uh, suppressing the innate immune system. And how? How? They explain this in the podcast that when we have specific antibodies from the adaptive immune system like what the vaccines give us they outcompete 
our natural innate immunity and the natural antibodies. So when you have the scenario they put out here is that when you have these antibodies which bind to the spike protein in SARS-CoV-2, if you have a specific antibody, it will bind to it. Then you have a natural antibody, it can't bind to it. It's already bound electromagnetically by the specific antibody. So the specific antibody wins every time. Now the problem is if that specific antibody is not effective against a mutant strain that we've created through evolutionary selection pressures, it will still bind to the S protein, the spike protein, before the natural antibodies. So what they're concerned about is that even if specific antibodies become ineffective through vaccines, they will still bind to the S protein and outcompete natural antibodies, therefore giving us a suboptimal immune response in the sense that we have no innate immune system able to deal with it and we have no specific adaptive immune system to deal with it because it's it's no longer uh, written correctly for that mutant strain. And this is a form of pathogenic priming. As we were saying at the beginning, the natural antibodies, they are not antigen specific. They have the capacity to broadly neutralize not only all kinds of COVID variants, but even all types of coronaviruses. And maybe you want to jump in at this point to, to make it a little bit clear to, to the Sure. Audience. Yeah, this is such a fascinating point. But uh, what we have is the possibility of antibodies that are ineffective at preventing the spike protein from binding the receptor and therefore ineffective at preventing infection that would nonetheless attach themselves electromagnetically. They would just simply stick to the spike protein and they would block the innate immunity that we all have some degree of and that young people appear to have a great deal of and therefore take the immunity that works best and neutralize it without creating a new immunity that would take its place. And that's, um, you know, again, that's a, it's a wild argument, but I see nothing wrong with it logically. Logically well, speaking, this makes a great deal of sense. Now, traditionally, pathogenic priming is more about creating an autoimmune response in an individual so that the first, and we've seen this in the early 2000s with SARS-CoV-1, we've seen it in the 1950s as well, where we vaccinated um, animals. Uh, I don't know if we did it with people. Yes, we did it with people as well. And then uh, they're vaccinated, which is great. But then when they're finally exposed to SARS-CoV-1, uh, the reactions are hyper-immune. So the immune system goes crazy. It's an autoimmune condition. This is another form of pathogenic priming in the sense that it is enhancing the virus's ability to attack a human, not necessarily through stimulating an autoimmune response, but through getting all the soldiers to lay down their arms because the innate immune system shut down. And the adaptive immune system is not working because the you know it's binding to the protein, but it's it's not written right anymore because of the mutant strains. And so that's the concern that they're laying out here. And and we've heard a lot about um, innate immunity being a very very important part of of the COVID nineteen response. You know, people have talked about high correlations of uh, vitamin D serum levels and and having very poor COVID outcomes when you have low vitamin D levels. Uh, comorbidities, you know, we all know the story about comorbidities. Everyone dying of COVID-19 seems to have a comorbidity. Uh, I think the average is 2.6 in, in the USA. And the number of um, 
the number of people who are dying of COVID-19 with comorbidities was in the 90s, like 94, 95%. There's only 5% who didn't have any explainable comorbidities. And comorbidities, of course, we're referring to general lifestyle factors. You know, we're talking about obviously things like obesity is apparently the number one driver, metabolic dysfunction, uh, not just obesity, but metabolic dysfunction, insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, uh, obesity, but then you have other um, comorbidities, people who, you know, you've got asthma and lung conditions and so on, and age is, you could technically describe as a comorbidity, because certainly as the older you get, the more at risk you are. We've heard, we've seen all the stats align, this correlation at least, with um, low comorbidities and high su- uh, survival rates from, from uh, COVID-19. Uh, and Brett and uh, Git here suggest that these patterns we're seeing are suggesting that um, innate immune immunity is what is protecting us currently against COVID-19. And so that's the very, very thing we don't want to disable. It's interesting. We have seen patterns here that are suggestive of the importance of innate immunity in the COVID-19 story in a way that you know is underappreciated. And the idea that now we're talking about uh, rendering that immune system, the innate immune system, ineffective, uh, at the same time we are failing to create proper immunity in the adaptive immune system, that is, you know, it's a perfect storm at some level, right? We're taking the thing that works and upending it without creating the thing that would replace it. And uh, it does seem a very frightening prospect. You know, it'd be very interesting to see some research done or someone more intelligent to talk about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and, you know, the normal supplement, things like vitamin D supplementation and sun and exercise and rest and all this kind of stuff. And whether those other types of treatment protocols, which have had some success around the world, apparently, uh, whether they act on the innate immune system to boost our general immunity as opposed to being more targeted like this in a, an adaptive immunity through vaccinations. Uh, but anyway, whatever the case, um, we need to be careful, claims Brett and Git, because we are messing with systems beyond our knowledge. Uh, and right now, the political pressure to do something, do anything, is manifesting itself into that one narrow response, which which is vaccinate, 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 right now, right now, and everyone, everyone. Messing with this system when you don't know what you're doing carries all kinds of potential hazards, um, and we have to be very careful with it. And mm. unfortunately, I think the political environment in which we find ourselves makes it very hard to behave rationally, that there is a yeah. demand on people who are um, in a position to govern that they do something. And mm-hmm. the problem is very few appreciate just how delicate this system is yeah. and how marvelously it's working on their behalf already. I mean, yes, COVID is frightening, but the degree to which most of us have not gotten it is uh, owing to the effectiveness of the system uh, before you make any intervention yeah. at all. Yeah. So there you go, a summary of Git appearing on the Dark Horse podcast with Brett Weinstein. It's a very good podcast. Link down below if you want to check it out. But hopefully this summary has given you an overview of what um, his main argument is, which is, of course, the two-pronged approach, which is one, uh, evolutionary selection pressures uh, that we're putting onto the virus because our vaccines don't provide sterilizing immunity. And second of all, suppression of our innate immune system, um, which is only a problem because 
He's saying the data is suggesting that the innate immune system, the general immunity, is one of the most protective things we have against COVID-19. And then, of course, he raises the alarm about children and so on. You know, if we start vaccinating children and we suppress their innate immune system because the adaptive immune system with antibodies outcompetes, then we're setting them up for failure as well. Anyway, that's um, really good that he was on with uh, Brett Weinstein because uh, he's been getting a lot of hate from ZDogMD. So just a quick word on ZDogMD. I've tried my hardest to like this guy. He's far more qualified than I am. But um, I tell you what, to see him resort to manipulation and to censorship and to ad hominem attacks, you know, he actually has been attacking Git van der Bosch and the other doctor, Italian or someone who interviewed Git for their accents. Uh, Git is from Belgium. He's also uh, been offered a debate. Git is offered to debate publicly. So let's just have a chat about it because Git just wants a conversation. And Dog MD has said... Your views are so dangerous that I am not going to give Git a platform. Where have we heard that before? Where have we heard that logic before? What you have to say is so dangerous it can't be said. And we're not. We're not going to. We're going to. We're going to cancel your page. We're going to ban your account. So that is very sad to see. Uh, that seems to be where we're going politically as well. You can only have one discussion as as political leaders have to just do something. They they are just going down one track. And uh, I'm a big fan of having an open conversation. You would have heard that uh, throughout that whole interview, Brett Weinstein hasn't necessarily said, look, you're correct. He said, look, I don't know if you're correct. Everything you're saying is making sense, though. And at a minimum, we need to have the conversation. So there you go. What is my takeaway from, from all of this? Uh, I can't believe that uh, you're listening to some guy in a spare bedroom in a house in in eastern Melbourne relying on me to deliver you truthful news like this. That, to me, blows my mind. Unbelievable. We should be hearing this kind of discussion from our health authorities uh, and from our leaders, even not even just our health leaders, even like our celebrity and our social class. They all are jumping on the bandwagon of shut up, shut up, shut up, follow the advice, follow the advice. And I just put up a clip recently with, with um, Brad Batten about we should trust our community more because if you're so afraid of of um, a lie, of someone saying something, uh, well, why is that? Is it because it's, it's maybe there's some truth to it? Like why are people so threatened by their narrative and what they want us to do? So I think we should have a broader discussion. And and I need that quote from George R.R. R. Martin, who I misquoted the other day. It's from George R.R. R. Martin, not Tolkien. He said, when you tear out a man's tongue, you don't prove him a liar. You prove that you fear what he has to say. And that is concerning. But I'll keep doing this as long as you find it helpful. And what my takeaway from what to actually do about this whole situation, well, innate immunity seems to be the winner, whether you're a child whether you're um, just really healthy, you know, some, most people just kick COVID-19 like it's nothing. High innate immunity seems to be a real game changer. What can I do to increase my innate immunity? That's what I'm thinking. My general standard of health, my general um, immune function. And how can I make sure I do not kneecap my innate immunity by introducing artificially um, specific antibodies that might uh, suppress my innate immune system. That's another thing I'm thinking about. And certainly with children, (laughs) it's the last thing I'd want to do. Anyway, that is the lay of the land with Yit Vanden Bosch. Make of it what you will. Make up your own mind. 
And uh, I am also about to interview another expert who has yet another opinion. He's neither for Git or against Git. He's got another issue somewhere in the middle. He's going to be coming on the show within the next, he's agreed, he's going to, in the next couple of weeks. He's a highly qualified guy from the UK. So look out for that. Mm-hmm.